Welcome to uh, our first Clinch Perfect podcast with the runner-up. Today we're going to talk about UFC 256, um, and I am here with Ben and Tom, and I'm Ricky. So first off, there was only one early prelim. We had a featherweight between Chase Hopper and Peter Barrett. It went through three rounds. Um, what did what did we think of the performance from Hopper? Um. I want to say I was impressed by his toughness because, um, I mean, Hooper's only 21. He's a young guy, um, and he, he, he did show good toughness. I mean, his lead leg got absolutely beat the hell up. Um, so I, I want to give him props, but at the same time, I really wasn't impressed. Um, you know, Peter Barrett's not a, a great fighter. He's not a guy who's going to be moving up the ladder anytime soon. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if he's in the the round of, you know, the big round of cuts that Dana was talking about when, uh, when he spoke about that last week. Um, so I think for Hooper, there's a lot, a lot of room for improvement. You know, yes, he showed great toughness. I'd like I said that lead leg was absolutely battered. Um, so to get that late submission was huge for him. But, you know, if, if I'm thinking from Hooper's corner and Hooper's best interest, I would like to see him take a huge break before he fights again um, and, and you know, learn a lot before he fights again, or if he is going to fight again, fight someone who's not very good. Um, because if he goes in there with anyone uh, who's, you know, got similar or even, you know, slightly better striking than Barrett and can, you know, stop a takedown and not get submitted the second it goes to the mat, um, I, I don't see Hooper having any chance really against anyone to a, to a higher level than Barrett. Yeah, I agree. I think it's just a case of, of building Hooper. Um, obviously, he lost to Alex Caceres. Uh, in quite a convincing fashion, but I think, as Ben says, his resilience shone through. Like it's it's, it's rare to see a young fighter um, not give up when the going gets tough. And I think what Hooper endears himself to the fans so well is that he just, when someone's throwing leather at him, he, he sort of bites down on his gum shield and, and tries to ride the storm. And I thought that's exactly what he did. Um, and then. Yeah, just to, to go all the way through and and get the heel hook, it's it, it's it's good. Like it, I, I think his submission skills are are definitely solid, um, but I do worry about his striking because I'm I'm not quite sure that he's he's necessarily got the um, the stand up so to speak to climb up the ladder so quickly. But he's still only twenty one. It worries me a lot at the moment, um, and you know, like we say, he's only twenty one, and that's why I'd like to see him take quite a big break um, before he fights again and just practice striking and nothing else at this point. Um, you know, like I said, Barrett's not exactly a top guy, no disrespect intended towards him, but um, he's just, you know, not a good guy. He got dominated by Zalal in his last fight. Um, so yeah, for Hooper to struggle that much on the feet in, in a fight with, with Barrett did concern me a bit. And uh, yeah, I, com I completely agree. On the other hand, he showed immense toughness and um, I am excited for his future, but I am also worried about some of the holes in his game. You know, for such a young guy, I don't want to see him, you know, get beat to hell up in his next fight. Awesome. I, as soon as I was reading that, I knew I said his name wrong and I just went with it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I thought, well, just roll through it. Just roll it through was it. One of those <laughs> crap. But um, what do you, what do you think he's going to do next? Uh, do you think Cooper's going to take time off? Like you think he should, or will he jump right back into it? I, I to be honest, if he's going to jump right back into it, I think they need to put him in there with, you know, for, for lack of a better word, a bum, because you know, like I said, like we just said, there are holes in his game and, um, if you put him back in there with anyone, you know, higher up in the rankings than than him and Barrett are right now in that sort of range, I think he's going to struggle big time. Like I said, if, if anyone who can not get heel hooked the second it goes to the mat, um, you know, yes, Hooper has great submission skills, but 
are they going to work on someone with a little bit more defense than, than Barrett showed? And, you know, I know Barrett didn't get finished by, by Zalal, but Zalal couldn't finish a wet paper bag. So, um, yeah, I, I think I would like to see him take time off, um, you know, work on a few things. And if he is going to jump back in there, um, looking at the rankings, there was one, one suggestion I ha- had was uh, Derek Minner, who just got a, a first-round finish of uh, TJ Laramie coming off the, the contender series. And, you know, that was a good win for Minner, but at the same time, I think that would be a fight that Hooper could take because it would go straight to the mat, and, and that's where he's in his element. Um, you know, Minna has, has like submission skills too, so it would be a good contest. It wouldn't be a pushover, but um, I think that's kind of the level of competition they should be looking for. Yeah, you definitely don't want to throw in a killer. I think that's the trouble with Featherweight. I'm just looking at the rankings now. Like it, even from top to bottom, it's quite stacked. Um, like Justin Jane's all right. He's lost two in a row, but he's it, it, still a, a decent striker. Um, Chris Fishgold as well, lost last two, but again... Cage Warriors champion, like decent UK fighter. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I definitely don't want to see him. Versus, I definitely don't want to see him and fight Yusuf Zalal though. Like I think that would be nuts. I saw someone suggest that on Twitter, and I, I don't know why. I, I hate how the UFC pairs Zalal's off prospects. Kicks would absolutely like, destroy him. I would hate. Yeah, that. exactly. And, and, and I don't understand why people are so obsessed with pairing prospects up. Like I'll talk about that with heavyweights yeah, later on. Derail um, one of them. Yeah, exactly. Like build these guys. Um, I mean, I say that I bloody loved uh, the Corey McKenna fight the other week. Um, yeah, that was good. Yeah, seeing those those two go at it, it was great. But with Hooper, it's just about timing. He, they've got to time his run because he's he's got a following. Like you look at social media, he's got decent numbers, he gets decent mm-hmm. engagement, and fans relate to the fact that he's this nerdy looking kid who is a bit goofy, um, but can get the job done. And he and he trains with some of the best fighters in the world. Like all right, Ben Askren. Everyone knows he got knocked into the next century by Jorge Masvidal, but Ben Askren beforehand was a bloody brilliant fighter. And he yeah, still is definitely. a brilliant fighter. Like training with, play, training with people like that, it'll only be good things for Hooper. Uh, moving on to the prelims, we had in women's strawweight, Torres defeating uh, Sam Hughes' eye, and uh, who <laughs> she ended up being the, the, the short notice replacement for Angela Hill. Um, what do you guys, what, what's your input on that fight in general? Well, well like, like you said, she beat her eye. Um, <laughs> uh, Sam Hughes made a, made a rookie mistake. She was a, a UFC debutante and she made a rookie mistake going to the corner and admitting that she couldn't see out of her eye. Um, I think they actually said that on broadcast that, you know, a more seasoned fighter wouldn't have mentioned that. They would have said, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, so, yeah, I think that was um, without, again, wanting to be disrespectful. It was a pretty easy fight for Tisha Torres and, you know, maybe kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel for a short notice replacement. Um, but at the same time, you, you can't take anything away from the performance of Torres. Um, her kicks looked amazing, just like they did in her last win. And uh, I, I would love to see um, you know them lining up that Angela Hill fight again. For once, I didn't actually turn a Torres fight off. So I feel like that's an improvement. Usually I can't bother <laughs> to watch them. Um, but that's that's yeah, her no. last two. Her last two have both had, had me tuned in the whole, the whole fight. <laughs> I think I just find it like, I don't know, I just find it so boring. But Angela Hill... For me, Angela Hill is the female BMF. So Tish Torres versus Angela Hill, sign me up, sign me up, get it done. I, I feel like this was just a, a bit of not not a feeder fight because Sam Hughes is a good fighter, but it just it just it, it's one of those fights that you would expect Tish Torres to win. And she won an emphatic style. So great. I think to me it felt like, you know, can we get Tisha Torres a finish? Can we can we see if she can finish <laughs> a fight? That's what it felt like to me. Um, you know, like I said, I don't want I don't want to be too too mean to, to Sam Hughes because any any fight who steps in there, especially at short notice, you know, it takes a lot of guts. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I think to me that that felt like the UFC was you know scraping the barrel a little bit. And um, yeah, you know, we mentioned Angela Hill and, and that fight getting called off. I completely agree. I would love to see that. Um, you know, it'd be karate kick fans' wet dream just watching those two go at it. Um, and and like you say, Hill is like the been like the female Kevin Holland this year. Um, so uh, you know, deserves the title of female BMF, if you will. And um, I, I would love to see that fight. Awesome. Uh, moving on to featherweight, we had Gavin Tucker dominating a decision win over the cardio machine, Billy Quarantillo. Um, what what really do you think was his best part of the performance? I think that he made it look like quite a clean performance against a guy in Billy Q who it's kind of impossible to look clean again. I mean, again, I think they, they said this um, in his in his post-fight interview. He said, you know, Billy Q is an awkward guy to fight. Um, but and I think Tucker mentioned the fact that he didn't think that he had put in that great of a performance because of the fact that Billy Q is an awkward fighter. But I actually disagree with him. I think it was a phenomenal performance. And, you know, he's now two wins in a row um, against decent opponents. And, and, and this one, like I said, was it was just a really well-rounded effort. And I think a lot of people, myself included, expect maybe he would fade down the stretch a little bit. Um, you know, Billy Q, like you said, is a, is a cardio machine. And I kind of expected myself that Billy Q might take over a little bit in round three after Tucker kind of throws the kitchen sink at him in the first 10 minutes. But, you know, he, he looked fine in round three. He looked just as good as he did in the first two rounds. So I think the I guess the thing that really impressed me about him was his pace and the fact that he was able to continue that pace through the full 15 minutes. What did you think, Tom? Yeah, it was, it was impressive to see him dominate someone who I rate really highly. I think Billy Q is a really good fighter. So to come in and essentially starve him all offense, it was, it was really exciting to see. It was it was one of those fights that on the prelims you you look at and think oh on paper this is a bit a bit dull it's it's not going to get the juices flowing but it was cool to see just a shutout really and I I quite like it when fighters come in and make a statement and shut down someone who's expected to I think Billy Billy Quarantillo was the favourite by some margin um, so it was good to see him come in and and shut him out but I, I quite like to see him climb up. The rankings and, and, and get I was just looking at the rankings now maybe someone like a, a Matt Frivola like I feel like that would be really interesting maybe it's a bit too far I mean he's ranked to 46 but like someone like that in that region well I think like, really really interesting I, I looked at the rankings and had the same thought as you about the featherweight which was holy crap this division is stacked you know there's guys in like the 40 to 50 range where you're like those are good fighters right there um and you know talking about a big jump one name that jumped out to me when I looked at it was Mark one Amir Khani um, oh, yeah, you know, I know that is a big jump, but Amir Khan has lost two of his last three. So, you know, you kind of have to, you know, move him down against a guy who's coming up off of a win. Um, I think that'd be a fun fight. I think, you know, if you were pushing me to, to make a pick, I'd probably go with Amir Khani, but I'd give, I have to give Tucker a chance off the performance that he just put in. So Kevin Kroon would um, also be a nice fight. Uh, yeah, that's definitely. just one that I thought off the top of my head. He doesn't really, because of his record, everyone thinks he's a bum. Um, yeah. But he's certainly not. Oh yeah, that, that, that'd be a fun one. Um, and uh, ne next fight up, I know Tom is desperate to talk about Rafael Fazeev. I can see him itching, so we'll just let Tom take it away and drool over Fazeev's performance. So before I get started, I do want to say, Moicano, I don't mean to offend you in any way, shape or form, but what were you doing trying to stand and bang? Like, <laughs> you're trying to stand and bang with a guy who literally bends his back in half. I'm sure everyone's seen that viral clip, but bloody hell, it was... It's, it's, he's one of those fighters, right, who can just perform, produce a moment of magic. And for me, that's exactly what he did. He just, he came out of nowhere, really. Like, uh, there's, there's a lot of 
people who've been watching him on like the, the kickboxing scene and all that kind of stuff. But it's taken him until the last fight at any rate for him to really start showing his, his striking ability. And for me, I just, I can't understand Moicano's game plan. Like why would you, why would you try and stand and bang with someone who's a, a finisher? Like this guy's got one punch power really. Um, and he's just really flashy and he's fun. And, and he's the exact, he's the kind of fighter that Dana White loves. He loves someone who is going to just be a walking highlight reel, like a Justin Gaethje. And for me, that's what Fiziev is. Um, and to, to do it against Moicano, who is a submission specialist, um, not taking anything away from the, from his striking or anything, but yeah, it was just, it was phenomenal. And I can't wait to see what they do with him next. Cause for me, it, it's on wonders and upwards. I mean, I know he's got a loss and whatever, but his performance against um, Mark J. Casey, who I rate really highly. And then coupled with this performance, it's just, it's onwards and upwards. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we, if we see him pushed um, further up the rankings. I completely agree. Like you say, he's very marketable because of those highlight moments, you know, whether it's matrixing out of the way of, of someone else's kick or kicking someone's head off himself. Um, you know, he's, he's capable of those highlight, you know, real moments that's going to that's gonna pop off the, the Twitter feed. Um, I think also his, uh, his post-fight interview was the type of thing fans love. I, you know, people love when Habib said uh, he's, he smashes people. Um, and, you know, Fazeev kind of has that same kind of um, likability about the... You know, he's, he's learning English as, as he goes and, and kind of just taking it as he gets, you know, in stride. And, um, you know, obviously he doesn't smash people as much as he kicks people in the stomach. But, um, no, I, I completely agree. He's really marketable and uh, I'd, I'd love to see him get a big jump. Did, did you have any opponents in mind? I'm just going to take a look at the rankings now. I don't have any off the top of my head. Um, but Because I've, like... I've got one big jump in mind and then one ridiculous one that wouldn't happen because it's such a huge jump, but it would be a fun fight if it, if it did. Right, um, throw it, go. The, the ridiculous one that couldn't possibly happen because he's ranked number five. I just think it would be such a fun fight and I want to see it sometime down the line is Dan Hooker. Um, yeah, do you know, um, I was actually just thinking that, or Felder. That even. would be fight of the year contender, like fight of the decade contender. Like those guys would just go at it. You know, it would be just like Hooker's fight with Dustin, um, except I actually think Fazeev has more power than Dustin. So I'd be kind of a little bit worried for Hooker in that one. But, um, you know, maybe that's one that's one down the line. Um, I could, my, my more realistic shots for him were um, Kutaladze, who just came off that really good win against the undefeated um, Matthias Gamrat. Um, that's that's one I'd love to see. And then Kevin Lee. Um, Kevin Lee's ranked number 11. He's coming off a loss. He's coming off a layoff. Um, he said last week he's back and ready to go. So, um, you know, I think Kevin Lee against Fazeev, that, that's, that's not an easy win for Kevin Lee by any means, if, if you ask me. I'm going a bit left, left field here. I'm going Alex Fernandez. That's, a, that's think... another one I looked at when I was looking at the rankings. Um, and that's another one where I think Fazeev has a great chance. Yes, definitely. Actually, do you know... I, I, I'm obsessed here. I'm just scrolling up. Maybe even a big Al. Yeah. He hasn't fought in so long. Isn't he Would selling he take real estate it? Probably now? Is he, I, I think he's too busy to uh, to get in the get in the octagon with a killer like Fazeev. It would mess up his uh, real estate picture. Um, <laughs> he wouldn't be able to sell houses after getting in the, getting in there with Fazeev. Um, so um, yeah, I think depending on how big you want to jump up, Hernandez is probably right in that sweet spot. I think he probably nailed it there. If you want to go further. Kevin Lee, um, I think would be a great fight. And then I mean, if, the, if they the want to build him up slowly, would... there are a few guys around his rank that would be a bit easier um, for him to get another highlight on his uh, on his resume. The wet dream would be Brad Riddell, but that'll never happen because they've trained together at um, Tiger Muay Thai and things like that. Yeah, 
yeah, that would be an another one, like I said, with the hooker fight where it would just be crazy just beating the hell out of each other, probably for the full 15 minutes as well. Um, yeah, so not nothing but positive things to say about Vaziv, and I, I can't wait to see who he gets next. All this talk about Fazeev, but where does Moicano go after this? He's lost three of his last four by knockout. What's next? Down the way, I mean, yeah, that's that's brutal. Losing three by knockout and not nice knockouts either. Like you know, there's some knockouts that you know look pretty easy to recover from, um, and then some where you're like, damn, like you know that that's a bad one. And um, you know they were all bad ones. Um, one I did think of was maybe Thiago Moises. Um, I think that'd be a, a fair kind of matchup. Um, they'd probably grapple a bit, so it would save Moicano from getting his chin bashed in again. Um, and I think it would be a fun grappling match. And, you know, a guy, you know, in Moises who's coming off two, two impressive wins against Bobby Green and uh, Michael Johnson. I think that'd be a fair jump. And a, and a kind of a big name for Moises as well um, as, as an up-and-coming. You know, Moicano's a relatively big name in the, in, the, in the division, so I think it'd be a good fight for both of them. I'm going to back my Spaniard. I'm going Joe Alvarez. I think that would be a... A, a tasty little fight for the Spaniard. I could see him getting a job done. And also, it would be quite good to see the, the two submission specialists go at it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It'd be fun, yeah. Um, I couldn't believe, by the way, Alvarez was the uh, the underdog in a, in his first fight against... Um, Joe Duffy. Joe Duffy, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that was ridiculous. Just just want to throw that in there. All right. Um, we had a, another featherweight between Cub Swanson and Daniel Pineda. Uh, Swanson stopped Panita by a knockout in the second round after hurting him earlier and hurting him pretty, pretty well. Um, this is something that we'll bring up probably later on, uh, closer to the end, but why, why don't you think Cub wasn't one of the performance of the night bonuses? Simply put, there were better knockouts. I think, <laughs> don't get me wrong, it, the highlight reel, obviously, but there were better finishes. Like you can't not reward Kevin Holland. Um, and Cubs won more than enough bonuses in the past. I feel like they've got to go with the young guns. But it was good to see the veterans going at it. Like I thought Pineda gave a good account of himself until the moment came. Um, and I thought Cub just looked Cub, Cub for me looked vintage. He struggled a bit and then found that magic moment, plucked that plucked the rabbit out of the hat and landed the punch and that that to me sums up Cub Swanson it's some he's someone who has had a hell of a time in the UFC he's had a hell of a run and if he can keep producing performances like this where he gives the fans a bit of everything I, I, I can see him uh, continuing to stick around like it wasn't all that long ago that he had a great fight well <laughs> maybe great's not the right word but he had a decent fight with Cron Gracie uh, where he just completely outclassed him on the feet and it was just it was nice to see Club after a really devastating injury that could have ended his career just come back with a vengeance yeah i agree um you know it's great to see vintage cub like i said and it was vintage cub and that it's it's a cub it's only a cub fight if at, at least a couple times in the fight you're like oh no he's gonna get finished and then you think oh no he's gonna finish the other guy um that you know that's just how cub fights go and i actually kind of i think i may disagree that he didn't deserve the uh the performance of the night bonus i think you know holland had to get one, but I think you could have given him the other one. Um, you know, I know they gave it to Fazeev and Cubs probably on a bigger paycheck to begin with. So maybe, you know, maybe that was came into the thinking that Fazeev deserves the 50k. But um, you know, I, I think I would have given given him the, the performance of the night with Holland. All right. Uh moving on to our main card. 
Uh, starting off, we have heavyweight uh, bout between Cyril uh, Gane and Juniors Dos Santos. Uh, Dos Santos gets knocked out with a brutal elbow early in the second round. Um, he he didn't think that it was a, a clean hit, but what what is your take on that? Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Like you can't turn away from your opponent and not expect him to hit you. And it no, it was for me it was a legal shot. Dana White came out and said it was a legal shot. So he was losing the fight anyway. If you if you're gonna complain about that, then complain about the fact that you couldn't stand and bang for like the, the five minutes beforehand. It's for me it was completely fine. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, I, I don't even think, even if you say, oh, well, he turned his back, I don't even think it hit him on the back there. It hit him behind the ear, which is fine. Um, you know, like you say, Dana backed it up. And um, I just think he never really looked in the fight. There was never a moment where I thought, oh, Gan's in trouble here. Um, so, um, you know, yeah, great performance from Gan. But um, yeah, I completely agree. It was a fine finish. And uh, I, he can't really complain about that. Um, yeah. So, so is this the end of the line for JDS? Uh, he's lost his last four all by knockouts. Um, and if, if it's not, then who does he fight to get back into the win column? Yeah, I, I, I think it's I the agree. Right. I, I think it's the end, yeah. Um, I think, you know, maybe he's got a career ahead of him in dancing. Um, he won the Brazilian <laughs> Dancing with the Stars in the summer, and that's why he was uh, gone for a little while. Or maybe it wasn't the summer. Maybe I'm getting my times mixed up. It might have even been last year. Who knows? This, this year's all kind of blended into one. But, um, yeah, I think four knockouts in a row at heavyweight as well, and, you know, all you know all from absolute killers. Um, I mean, who are the other ones? Overeem, Curtis Blades. Um, I'm missing one. But, yeah, um, you know, these are – four in a row and I think it's up to maybe seven or eight total knockouts in his career might be seven now so um yeah I mean he's in his mid-30s four knockouts in a row at heavyweight looked slow never really looked in the fight um you know he's had his run he's had his success but um yeah get, go be a judge on Dancing with the Stars Junior I'm, I'm gonna play a devil's advocate here I don't want him to retire I, I, I want a certain Mancunian to fight him give him to Tom Aspinall go on get him a, oh. get him a name on his ledger <laughs> From a biased British perspective, I would like to see that. Um, you know, and I think that would probably be a, a kind of a fair matchup for JDS to have a chance in as well. Um, I feel like it was kind of um, brutal from the UFC to put him up with a guy in Gan who, you know, is just looking like an absolute tank. Um, you know, I don't really see any holes in his game and I don't, didn't really see any advantage where, you know, JDS had the advantage over him in, in any aspect of the fight. So, um, yeah, I think that was a bit of a brutal matchup for JDS. And, yeah, let's... Fuck it. Throw in there with Tom Aspinall, see what happens. Um, either he gets a win and, and can retire on a win, or uh, Aspinall gets a big name on the resume. Absolutely. Um, so en enough talking about JDS. Um, where, do you, where do you think this performance takes Cyril? He, I mean, he won this with pretty much, with not really a struggle. Uh, what, what's next? Uh, two words. Giazinho, Rosenstroke. Get that done. <laughs> I've got two words written down as well. Biggie boy. There we go. <laughs> it's got to be Rosenstrike. It's got to be. And this is the path to Ngannou for the title. Make it that happen would be in France. So much fun. Yeah, 100%. Completely behind that. Um, that would just, I mean, you're just waiting for one of them to get, you know, knocked into the shadow realm. And so. as, as a bit of insider um, information as well, it would be so spicy because there's just so much background between the two. Uh, they both started at MMA Factory in Paris. Um, Francis and 
Ghana I'm obviously talking about. And Francis has fallen out with the MMA factory chief, which is why he's over in the States training in the States and all that kind of stuff. So there's a there's a real underlying relationship and, and story to be told. And I think that's that's something that sells the fight. For me, it's got to be Rosenstroik and then Ngannou for the title. If Ngannou So your, your plan is, is Biggie Boy is the stepping stone to get to Francis 100%, for the title. Yeah, and, and yeah. don't get me wrong, I love Biggie Boy. I think Biggie Boy is a great fighter, but I just think Garn, it's not only a striker. Garn's an all-rounded mixed martial artist. And at heavyweight, that's really rare. Unless, of course, John Jones moves up, but we can talk about that later. Um, but I think, yeah, I just think there's something about Garn, like you don't have such few fights and make such so many statements unless you're really good. And I, I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket, but if Garn doesn't fight for the, for the title in the next two years, well, I can't see it happening. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our next fight was middleweight between Kevin Holland and Jack Array. Holland just absolutely destroys Jack Array um, in the bottom of the first round. Uh, First off, do we think that Holland is the 2020 fighter of the year? Yes. Yes, Kevin Holland fighter of the year. Give it to me. Um, I know it's not actually going to happen. It's probably going to be Figueredo and, you know, fair enough. I know he didn't win on Sunday, on Saturday, but, you know, to, to jump in there on three weeks after and doing, you know, a, a second title defense in, in that short space of time, he's probably going to win it. Um, but screw it. I want Kevin Holland to get it. Um, to fight five times in this year of all years, and he didn't fight until May. He's fought five times since May. Um, you know, he could have got seven or eight in there if he had started in January. Um, and not just to fight five times, but to win emphatically five times. I know, you know, the Darren Stewart one was a bit of a close fight and probably the one that you could say he didn't look quite his best in. Um, you know, but Stewart's a hell of a tough fighter. And to win five times and now to have a big name, and not just a big name, but a big finish, and a highlight finish, and a performance of the night finish against that big name, um, a Yes, give Kevin Holland fighter of the year. I'm starting the campaign. I'm not because he didn't beat Darren Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> for me, um, no, I, I think it's been a remarkable year for Kevin Holland, obviously. like, And then to knock out Jack Ray from basically sitting in the toilet is just fantastic. Like, It's one of those moments for me that is in contention for KO of the year. I know it wasn't theoretically a clean KO and whatever because Jack Ray was recovering, but I don't know. Yeah, Jack was... Ray was asleep for five well, no, minutes after when he yeah. stood up. <laughs> Jack Ray might still be asleep. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I, I don't know. For me, for me, Holland's one of those fighters who I, I find really frustrating because I think he's really good. And he's, he's a really technical striker. Like the way, the way he strikes, you don't really see that in mixed martial arts. It's almost like Bruce Lee incarnate. Um, but the, the, there's just something about him that for me is just not quite clicking. I don't know if it's his um, sellability on the mic or I, I don't I don't know. Because um, I'd love to see him run the, the fight back with Darren Stewart because I, I do think he lost that one. And I'm just looking at the, the, the rankings now. Um, I, maybe, a, do you know, I'm actually going to say Cannoneer. I feel like that would be a really fun fight. Obviously, two fight. strikers, well, predominantly strikers. Um, even a till, do you know? Even a till, but I, I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing Till and Vittoria link for a, a matchup in March, so maybe that's something that yeah. they could do this middleweight tournament instead of the lightweight tournament that everyone's talking about. They can do a middleweight tournament when Izzy's moved up and gone to light heavyweight, so that that'd be something fun. But I mean, you can't take anything away from Holland. Like as as Ben says, the guys had five fights since March, like May, like that's unheard of. Um, and again, to get a, a legend on your name, like 
on, on your record, that speaks volumes as well. Well, I think as well, people forget he slept Joaquin Buckley as well. Um, you know, I think he, oh, all the casuals love Buckley now um, because, because of the highlight KO. But, um, you know, and this is not meant to disrespect Buckley. He's a beast. But, you know, it seems to have just kind of gone overlooked. People are just pretending it didn't happen. Um, that Holland, you know, outclassed him for a round and a half and then put him on his ass. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm calling it. Kevin Holland deserves fighter of the year. He won't get it, but I, I want him to get it. Um, so Holland calls it out um, Azmat Chemiev. And do you think this is one fight that will, will actually come to fruition? Uh, anything, anything you want to add about just him calling out in general? No, nah, because I think, I think Chemiev's gunning for the welterweight title. I, I think it's kind of a bit daft to be calling out someone who's already got a fight booked like they've they said they're they're re- that's that, that i think that's in essence part of my problem with kevin holland he called out someone who all right is waiting until leon edwards comes back but he's still waiting for leon edwards like that's the fight that she may have wants that's the fight that ufc wants so to call out he may have who all right is a name it, to me it just felt like a wasted opportunity he could have called out a vittori he could have called out a till he could have called out someone who would put him in that or even a robert whisker like someone who would put him in that title with the title shot frame and i, I think it's one of those ones that the fans would go crazy for. But I, I think it's too early for Jumaev to be fighting those kind of fighters at middleweight. Like, that's a really big jump for someone who's like, I think he's had like, what, two fights in the UFC against Great. people who um, really, I don't think any of them, have, I don't think either of them have done anything remarkable in the past couple of years. All right. Um, Reese McKee was a decent cage warriors fighter. Gerald Michart has has been a decent submission specialist, but and right, he submitted Darren Wynn. But it, it, to me, it's just like they've got to build Shimei up the right way. And throwing him in with someone like Kevin Holland, it, it, it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, the uh, the filthy casual in me wants the fight just for the trash talk. I feel like if you made that fight a main event on a on a fight night card, the trash talk in the build up would be amazing. Um, you know, Hamza is is dynamite on the mic. Um, he just just wants to smash. Um, and uh, I would I would absolutely love the trash talk between those two. But I think oh, on balance, I probably agree with you. Um, Hamza should you know should be gunning for those, those welterweights. Um, he is a huge welterweight, mind you. But um, yeah, I think you're probably right. Holland just kind of missed the mark there, slightly the wrong call out, um, and and should have been looking up the uh, the middleweight ladder at people who were actually ranked ahead of him, and and you know. Could could move him further up the middleweight ranks rather than calling out a guy who's you know really aiming down below him. He's just a bit excited. Um, <laughs> moving on to the women's strawweight, uh, Mackenzie Dern wins a hard-fought decision with Verna Jandadoba. Um, Dern's striking is much improved from her last match. Uh, is is she good enough to start taking on the elite in her division? I don't think so. I, I worry for Dern against like the, you know, the top five, six in that division. That's, you know, I think that's probably the deepest division in, in women's UFC right now. I think that division is absolutely stacked and, you know, yes, her striking did look really good, um, but it looked really good against another, you know, another grapple who was also striking unusually. Um, you know, it's unusual for both of them to have, you know, a full 15 minute stand up fight. So I think, you know, we can't really judge Dern's striking too much off that as we would if she, if she had gone in there with another striker, and, and, you know, won a 15-minute decision on the feet, then, you know, power to her and, and throw her in there with, uh, with a top five, six rank. But, um, you know, I think 
one name I was looking at actually is um, Kanako Murata, who is another grappler, is 12 and 1, just came off an absolutely dominant win. Um, I think throw her in that. If she wins that, then, then put her up there with the elite. But um, yeah, I think the fact that, you know, yes, it was good striking, but it was good striking against, you know, another fighter who's not used to striking. Um, I feel like it's quite hard to judge that. I mean, at some point, I want to see a, a Tatiana Suarez fight, but it's a bit too oh, yeah. soon for something <laughs> like that. Uh, I think you're right. They've just got to build her. I don't, I don't understand why people talk about rushing all these fighters. Like, build them, man. Like, look, look at what boxing does. I'm not saying give them bums, but give them fighters who are at their level so that they can then develop and push on. And I think that's exactly what they've got to do with Mackenzie Dern. She's a dime. She's a great fighter to watch. She's really fun. Submissions out of nowhere. Um so for me, give her someone. Do you know, I was actually—I I don't think Tisha Torres because that—that'd be ridiculous. But I'm just looking at the rankings now, and maybe even like a, uh, do, do you know, maybe even someone like a. I mean, I know Michelle Waterson's booked, but like, but someone like that who's who's not going to like really trouble you on the feet in terms of she's not going to knock you out. Like Michelle Waterson doesn't have the punch power, but like someone on that level who's not pillow fisted, but <laughs> isn't isn't going to be. I a, think that's a fair to say about Watson, to be honest. <laughs> um, and I agree. Yeah, you know they do need to build her up. She is, I think, very marketable as well. Um, you know, not just because of her Instagram. Why is she but, marketable, Ben? <laughs> um, well, I was going to say, if, you know, shout out Michael Bisping, Believe You Me podcast. Um, she was she was on there after her last win, um, the one before this one, and you know she just she's just good fun. You know, like. Um, you know, she fitted in well with those guys, you know, just mercilessly taking the piss out of her um, and, and, you know, just water off a duck's back, didn't mind, had a laugh. So, um, I, you know, I think she's a good personality to get in, get in those, you know, elite straw weights. And like I said, it is an absolutely stacked division. So I would, yeah, I agree. I would like to see a build up slowly. Don't throw her in there with, you know, like a Carlo Esparza or someone who's just going to absolutely maul her. Um, I think, yeah, I think Murata would be a, a fair fight at that level. And it would also be an insane, like grappling, grappling matchup. So, um, yeah, and I'm all for insane scrambling, grappling matchups. So, um, yeah, that's that's my pick for her. All right. Um, on to lightweight. Charles Oliveira dominates Tony Ferguson on the mat, wins by an unanimous decision. Um, who who takes on Oliveira now that th- th- this matches up? Is he going to go on the winner versus of Connor versus Dustin? What do you think, Tom? No, <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think he'll get the, the winner of of Conor and Dustin purely because I don't think he's quite a name yet. At least not among to fight a Conor or a Dustin, you've got to be. I don't mean a name in terms of the hardcore's name. You've got to be a name that pushes to the casuals as well. And I'm not so sure that Oliveira has bridged that gap just yet. I'm not saying he won't, but I think it's just a bit too soon to be like, right, you get a title shot. I know he's been on this remarkable run. And it sounds crazy to say, but. We're only a fight removed from the fact that Justin Gaethje pretty much took Tony Ferguson's soul. So, would he do the same thing to a, a Dustin or a Connor? I'm not so sure. I, I feel like I saw some outlandish take that that Charles Oliveira would submit Conor McGregor, and I'm not saying that's within not within the realm of possibility. But in order to do that, you've got to close the distance, and to do to close the distance, you could either be hit by a right hand or a left hand, and you don't want to do that against someone like McGregor. So, I think for me. I'd quite like to see him versus Islam Makachev. I know it would be below, it, it, taking a, a step back, so to speak, in the rankings. But in a way, if you take a fight against Makachev, you're sort of building yourself up for a, 
Habib fight. And who knows if Habib will come back or not. I personally am inclined to believe that he will at some point. Um, so someone like that would be really interesting. Or even a Michael Chandler. And again, I've, I've seen rumors that Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje are getting booked for a fight together. But I feel like Oliveira would actually be more of a fun fight because Chandler is an all-American wrestler, like really strong background in, in wrestling. And he's got a decent submission game as well. So, and also he can stand and bang. So why would you not want to throw him in with someone like who, Oliveira, who for me, out Tony Ferguson, Tony Ferguson. Yeah, completely agree. Um, he's not, I don't think, it, I, I would love him to get the winner of that fight. That's I, that's what I think is right and fair um, because, you know, he just completely dominated Tony and, you know, yeah, Gaethje did as well, but um, Gaethje did it in Gaethje's way. You know, Oliveira did it in Tony's way, if that makes sense. And, um, you know, yes, Oliveira is a grappler first, but he can strike, you know, he's, he's you know, shown in a couple of the, the finishes that he has on this, on this crazy streak he's on that he's happy to stand and bang if you want him to. Um, you know, he probably wouldn't do that with Connor. Wouldn't be best advised to. But um, you know, I think the the fair thing would be to give him the winner of those two for the for the title. Um, however, I also agree that that's probably not what will happen because the fair thing doesn't always happen in the UFC. And and I think you're right. Um, Makachev, I think, would be a little bit below him and and kind of a little bit of a unfair jump for Makachev. As good as he's shown you know himself to be early on in his career, I think you know if he wins that, all of a sudden he's in title contention. And I'm not really sure that's fair. Um, I'm still waiting for the Makachev versus Kevin Lee fight. That's been, they've been trash talking for, for seems like an eternity now. Um, but yeah, I think maybe throw him in there with someone like RDA um, coming off an impressive win. Um, you know, that would be again, another one where the grappling exchanges would be insane. Um, and I agree. Michael Chandler would be a fun fight as well. Um, Dan I, Hooker I, would be insane. Dan Hooker would be good. Dan, all Dan Hooker fights are insane. Um, but yeah, I think I, I would have to agree with you on, on Chandler. I think, if you throw Chandler in with Gaethje, I feel like that's a, a little bit of an unfair jump for Chandler just to jump straight to Gaethje because if he beats Gaethje, that's it. He's he's the number one contender. Um, so I think, you know, set those two up, Oliveira, Chandler, whoever wins that is the, you know, absolutely going to be in, in with a shout of the title. Um, what, what do you think the UFC will do with Tony? Give him time. Yeah. I, think, I think Tony Ferguson needs to have a serious think about not necessarily leaving the gloves in the octagon, but he needs to. He needs just. To, he needs to have a break. Like the guy's been through hell and back, not just in terms of the two recent fights, but over his entire career, he's been in some real wars, and he needs to give his body a break. Whether that be he, I don't know, comes out of the rankings is, is a bit extreme, but I, I think he needs a good few months off, and that, that's something that Dana suggested as well. Dana was quick to, to dismiss talk of him retiring, but he did say, look, we need to treat this guy well. And I don't think Tony Ferguson has been treated particularly fairly in the, in the past few years. And I, I just think if he gets some time off to recover and recuperate, maybe we could, we could see him. I'm not, I'm not so sure. I don't think Tony Ferguson will ever be a contender again, because I'm not so sure how he'll deal with his first two losses in a row, but I'd quite like to see Tony Ferguson come back and just give us a glimpse of that Tony of old. And I, I think that's what I was so impressed by with Oliveira in the sense that his striking was on point. He was throwing submission attempts that are the type of submission attempts like the Hail Marys that, that Tony would have thrown three or four years ago. And it felt to me like a changing of the guard. And I didn't feel like the Gaethje fight felt like a changing of the guard for me. That just felt like Gaethje had a really good game plan. Oliveira out Tony Ferguson, Tony Ferguson. 
and that's just crazy to say. Yeah, I, I agree. He needs a break, but I, I actually think, you know, and no disrespect to Tony Ferguson because I love Tony Ferguson. He, you know, you've, I've never not had fun watching a Tony Ferguson fight, and that's what you want as a fan. Um, you know, so I, I don't want to say anything too bad about Tony Ferguson, but I really think I worry that he is finished. Um, not finished as in never going to fight again, but finished as never going to be a genuine contender um, because the way Tony fights doesn't is not going to align well with aging. The way Tony fights is I'm going to walk you down for the first 10 minutes and let you beat the crap out of me. And then I'm going to take over and my gas tank's going to take over and you're going to get tired and more damage than I do before I, you know, before I burn out. And, you know, as you go into, you know, you know, what's we'll he, I think he's like 25 and four. So he's approaching yeah. 30 fights. As you go into the, you know, the 30 fight range, you can't keep doing that. You're, you're getting old. Your body's just naturally going to, you know, be not as you, good. You said it there, actually. Like, to me, he looked old in the fight. Like, yeah, that, I mean, I don't know whether it's just because he shaved his head, but he, I actually agree. I, I thought, damn, he looks old. Um, you know, that Gaethje beatdown aged him a solid five, ten years. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, I, I really worry that his fighting style isn't. It just doesn't align well with the natural aging process. Um, you know, he, you know, that's the way he fights. Even in fights that he's won, what you would say dominantly, there were moments where he was in trouble. You know, fights like the Pettis fight. You know, he takes a lot of damage. That's how he fights. Um, so yeah, I, I do worry for Tony and I agree. Um, he needs a long break. And, um, if after that long break, Islam Makachev doesn't have a fight yet, that's who I want to see Islam Makachev fight. All right. Uh, on to flyweight. Figueredo retains his title with a draw against Brandon Moreno. Um, do you agree with the decision? I do. Yeah. Um, I don't usually agree with the draw. I usually find myself raging at draws, being like, what the hell, that guy clearly won or that guy clearly won. Um, but, you know, I looked at, you know, I looked at the striking figures and I had to watch the fight back a second time because it was half five in the morning by the time it rolled around and much had been drunk. Um, but uh, yeah, I had to watch it back a second time. And after watching it back a second time, I do, I do agree with it because um, I think the first two fight, the first two rounds I would just give to Figueredo, but they were razor close. Um, you know, you look at the striking numbers as well, that backs it up, they were razor close. You know, third round, he loses a point, and Moreno actually outstriked him in the third round as well. Um, and then fourth round was Moreno's best round. So if you think going into the fifth, it's 2-2. Fifth was pretty close, probably Figueredo's round. I, it's hard to disagree with, you know, the judges not being sure, you know, a couple of them given draw, you know, I think one gave it 48-47, was it Figueredo? So. I, I can't disagree with the decision. I think it, it, for once I'm sitting here praising the judges. Um, you know, um, Chris Lee was at it again with some ridiculous scorecards. I don't know um, if anyone saw, was it Chase Hooper? He gave, he gave a round to Chase Hooper in the first fight. Um, so he was at it again. But um, other than that, yeah, I thought the judges actually weren't that bad on the night and probably had one of their, their better nights of UFC <laughs> judging I've seen in a long time. And I have to agree with the draw. Yeah, for me, it was the best flyweight flyweight fight in history, which which sounds crazy when it doesn't feature the best flyweight of all time. Um, but it, it was the best flyweight fight uh, ever. And I think it, it, it showed a lot for Brandon Moreno to come in. Like It's all very well for the champ to do it after such a, a, a dominant performance. Um, but the fight against Brandon Roy Val, I mean, he looked great, but there were, there were some moments where it was quite close and all that kind of stuff. So it, 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 I was really impressed with how not that he bit down on his gum shield and, and just threw hell for leather, but the fact that Moreno had such a short space and they both had the same turnaround, right? But the fact that Moreno, who maybe wouldn't have had the same caliber of camp as Figueredo, like being the champ, he'll have certain 
he'll have access to certain things like in the, in the performance institute that maybe the, the challenger wouldn't and all that kind of stuff so i'm not i'm not saying in this fight camp but previously yeah. and for someone who was cut from the ufc um it's a remarkable turnaround of his career and it was really cool to see like the support not just for figueredo but for moreno like the ufc have needed a mexican fighter and boy have they got one yeah, I mean, Yaya Rodriguez is not going to be around for a while, so they, they <laughs> needed a new one. Uh, let's hope Moreno shows up for his uh, for his drug tests. Um, yeah, I completely agree that you know he's, that that fight has made a star out of him. Um, you know, and I think most UFC fans already knew Moreno was a beast and probably thought he deserved the title shot before Perez. Um, you know, I was a big backer that he should have got the title shot before Perez, but um, I think you know you said yeah. It, it's, it seems disrespectful to just say, oh, he was so tough because the striking was so good as well. Like his striking looked amazing. And, you know, he landed three or four good takedowns as well. Um, and when Figueroa went for the guillotines, he just slipped right out of them and, and you know, got the, got the top position and, and dominated at times on the mat. So um, it feels kind of disrespectful to just be like, oh, he was so tough. He was so tough because it was a very technical and, and impressive performance. But I got to give a shout out to getting the worst nut shot I've ever seen <laughs> and just... You know, like you said, biting down on the mouthpiece. And he came back and he won the fourth round dominantly. I mean, he got his balls kicked into the shadow realm in the third round. And five <laughs> minutes later, he's got Figueredo stumbling around off a head kick. Um, I think, you know, the toughness there, it would have been real easy for him to say, I can't continue after that. Um, you know, no one would have criticized him if he couldn't. I mean, it was a, it was brutal. It was straight, you know, it was straight on. You know, there's a reason to point. Bang on the money. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was clean shot. Um, but, uh, you know, to come back and not only to come back and just, you know, Anthony Smith versus John Jones, just, you know, oh, I'll just lose a decision and go with my honor intact. He came out and he won the next round dominantly. That was his best round was after that. Um, it was almost like it just pissed him off. It was like, okay, <laughs> that's how you want to play it. Um, so, um, yeah, I got nothing but nothing but good things to say about Moreno. So impressed by his performance and I cannot wait for the rematch. So with all of this praise that both of you are spewing out, um, do you do you think that this was the the fight of the year and and if you don't was at least the fourth round the round of the year i'm gonna say hard no because i think we have a real problem with recency bias in mma fans like we all mm -hmm. just the latest fight is suddenly the best of the fight of the year like it always happens for me the fight of the year is shane burgos versus josh emmett like that was just pure carnage and i feel like while the figurado and Moreno fight was great and it was great fun to watch. You got you got to give it to Shane Burgess and Josh Emmett. I, I'll give them the round of the year though. I, I agree. The fourth round was was really really fun. Like it was just it's amazing to see Moreno recover from, as Ben said, getting his nuts kicked into oblivion um, and bouncing back in such emphatic style. And it, I, I feel like it's one of those that the media will probably be like, oh yeah, that was the fight of the year. But for me, the diehard, the the someone who stayed up for God knows how many hours and had so many sleepless nights. It's got to be Shane Burgess versus Josh Emmett. Well, I'll be, I'll be the filthy casual then. And I'll say that, um, no, it wasn't fight of the year, but it wasn't Burgos against Emmett either. It was quite clearly Shang Wei Lee against Joanna. Um, I loved that fight. And um, I think I've probably watched that fight five, six times since it happened. So I think that was the fight of the year. Um, but I, I agree. If you were going to give a round of the year, this would be it. Um, you know, like you said, to come back from from the nut shot and, you know, when props to Figueredo as well, that wasn't a completely one-sided round. I mean, he got shot by the head kick and came back swinging. 
And then, you know, when Moreno got, sh- uh, you know, shook by a few body shots, he came back swimming and swinging. And, you know, the, the speed that the flyweights go at each other with, you know, the pace they can maintain for longer than the bigger guys, it's just so exciting. And to think, you know, they were going to cut this division and now we don't have one star at the division. We have two, you know, potentially huge stars now at the division. Um, you know, if the rematch is anything like that fight, these guys are both going to be huge stars and the UFC will be so thankful they did not cut the flyweight division. I'm gonna get a lot of hate here, but I don't want to see the rematch next. What would you want to really see next for Moreno? Uh, no, not Moreno. I want to see my boy Cody Garbrandt get that title shot. I just, I, I think it, there's, there's only if Garbrandt fights Figueredo, there's only one outcome really on either side. There's going to be a KO of some crazy fashion. I'll, I'll tell you what the outcome is. Is Cody going to sleep? Is the outcome? <laughs> nah, there's I, no I, way his chin withstands one <laughs> one shot from. Fig- I mean, Figueredo hits. But playing Figueredo devil's hits like a welterweight. He is a tank. I can't. Yeah, but, I just but can't playing see devil's Cody advocate, lasting in there. He couldn't sleep. Um, Formiga, who's just been cut. So yeah, true, true. And if you if you if if you look at the way that Cody fights, there are some similarities to Formiga. Mm-hmm. So I feel like stylistically, I, I'm giving Cody a chance. I, I I know TJ obviously came down and that didn't work out very well for him. Um, for various reasons, <laughs> I just think it would be into. so. Po- I think it would be so poetic for Cody to get one over his biggest rival and go down in weight class and just try and, and win, then, win the belt. He yeah. couldn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it would just be poetic justice, really. Um, and I, I think, I think actually, Figueredo needs something like that. Like Figueredo needs a name. He couldn't get um, Henry Cejudo, but he could get Cody Garbrandt, who is arguably just as big. So. For me, it, it's mutually beneficial for both parties. You, you've got to do that next. And also, you've got to give Moreno some time to recover. Like, look at the amount of fights the man's had in like the past couple of years. Like, it's been, there have been some proper tear ups, and he needs some time to get himself back into shape, have a full camp, give himself a nice little rest, and then we can get the rematch. Like, I, I don't, I don't buy this whole immediate rematch bollocks. You've got to give people some time to recover. Um, and give Figueredo the chance to get a legend on his name. On his legend, I'm sorry. on the other side of this. I want the rematch as quickly as possible. <laughs> put the rematch next week. Um, <laughs> put the rematch on the uh, on the Connor Dustin card for all I care. I want that rematch as quickly as possible. Um, but I, d- I do agree that the Cody fight would be a fun fight. Um, but I, I personally, I don't give Cody a chance in that fight only because you know he's shown that you can't trust him not to get sucked into a foolish, you know, stand and bang war where he loses that technical advantage that he has on 99% of the roster. Um, and I think, you know, you just, yeah, you just can't trust him not to do it. And if he does that with Figueredo, he's going to sleep quickly. Um, but I just think, I, I think there's, there's something in, in, in sports science of going down a weight class. Like I know obviously Figueredo punches like a horse, but I, I think Cody gets a lot of maybe, well, he gets he gets rightly criticised for losing his head and losing his rag and getting in a bar brawl, but he can also at times look sublime. Like you only have to think about the Dominic Cruz fight, who yeah. for me Cruz is one of the best technical strikers of all time, and Cody completely outclassed him on every front. Like what's to say he wouldn't do the same against Figueiredo? I know he's got issues with his whiskers. We get that, but for me, it's just one of those. For me, the the Cody Figueiredo fight is just like. A fun fight for everyone because Cody's vulnerabilities, but his ability to also throw a haymaker out of nowhere and put your lights out, that to me gives it this element of 
right, this is must watch TV. It's almost like we have uh, our casual fan really wanting a rematch and our professional (laughs) knowing uh, maybe not yet. I am the degenerate casual. Give me the rematch. (laughs) Give it to me now. Um, so well, maybe, maybe I'm the casual for wanting a fan favorite to, to get a title shot without having a fight in the division. Either way, I think no matter what, you'll you'll have fun watching the next one. Um, so I'll, I'll 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 take a brief pause from uh, 256 for our last question, but just wanted to bring up a little bit of news. Um, I, I mean, there there's a bunch of stuff going on, and uh, Ben, do you want to go on ahead and? Give, give some of yeah, your insight. Um, yeah, just we, we have to talk about Yoel Romero signing with Bellator just, what, a week after they signed Rumble Johnson. Um, and Yoel sa- says he's signed to the light heavyweight division. So, um, you know, I kind of thought with Bellator's, you know, lenient USADA rules um, that maybe we'd see, uh, you know, Yoel drop down to lightweight or something. But um, <laughs> we're going to see him finally make the step up to light heavyweight that everyone's been waiting for. Um, and he's going to be juiced up to the gills, um, and uh, surely, surely they have to make the fight with Rumble Johnson. Tom, what do you think about that fight? I'm going in a different direction, but an equally fun one, uh, for one reason only. <laughs> They've got to give him Corey Anderson, surely. Like, can you just imagine the highlight reel KO? Like, don't do that to Corey Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that because he's already been—he's already been in there with Jan Blahovic. Don't put him in there with your Romero. I just think I think I think Bellator actually. I know they got a lot of criticism for some of their matchmaking, which is utterly dreadful because they seem to give the bin men a chance. But I think it, for, with this light heavyweight division, they've got some really exciting fighters like a Nemkov and whatever. Um, so for me, I'd, I'd actually I want to give them I want to give them a, well give your give Romero a couple of fights who or give him a couple of fighters just to like test himself at light heavyweight. Like he's, he's never fought the weight, in the weight division beforehand. Um, and there is quite a jump in terms of your speed and your timing and things like that. And I didn't think he looked particularly great in his last fight. So they kind of need to give him someone who can make a bit of a statement and be like, right, here's your highlight reel KO. Now we'll start moving you up the rankings. So I'd, I'd, I would love to see um, the Rumble Johnson fight. Like I'm a big AJ fan, one of the best to ever do it. But for me, that's got to be for the title. You can't just do it on a, right, here's your first fight. You're fighting Anthony Rumble Johnson. You've got to build them up, especially when they fought in two different weight classes. Well, and like I think I said this before we started the show, Rumble Johnson apparently weighs like 270 pounds right now. So he's not making light heavyweight anytime soon. Um, so uh, yeah, maybe, maybe a couple of fights before that one. One I thought of actually was um, Vadim Nemkov's brother um, is also signed with Bellator. I think his name's Victor Nemkov. Put Yoel in there with him. He kills him. <laughs> and then for, for the fight with Vadim, you have the storyline of like, you know, we had the, the Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz thing with Jorge Masvidal. You have that same thing, Bellator. You know, you, you, they need a storyline to, you know, create some hype around Yoel's title run. What better way to do it than have Vadim, you know, getting revenge for his brother after Yoel absolutely destroys him. So um, if you're going to give him a, a build-up fight, I would like to see him fight Victor Nemkov. I think that would be a fun fight. Um, and to be honest, Romero's name, I think, draws enough that they wouldn't need to put him in with a big name immediately. They could just be like, hey, Yoel, you know, Yoel Romero's fighting and everyone would tune in. Um, and then you get that storyline with Nemkov. And then, like you say, if, if we want to make that Rumble Johnson fight for the title after he beats Nemkov, which I think 
probably would, but it would be a tough fight. Um, you know, that would be probably one of the hypest fights in Bellator's history. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm all for it. Um, next up, uh, something that just came out today, um, MMA Island reporting that Gregor Gillespie versus Brad Riddell is in the works for UFC 258 in February. Um, I know you're a big city kickboxing fanboy, Tom. So w- what do you think about this fight? Do you think Riddell wins? Oh, I think Eugenie Behrman is just a tactical genius. And yeah. I, I think if Kevin Lee can knock you out, I can't see how Brad Riddell doesn't, maybe not knock him out, but just put on a striking masterclass. And I know Gillespie's obviously got really heavy wrestling background, but you, you saw in Riddell's previous two fights, you can maybe take him down. You can't keep him down. Like he's, he's a warrior through and through. And I just think the city kickboxing will have the ultimate strategy in place to beat someone who is, at the end of the day, a wrestler-based mixed martial artist. Like He's not a very good striker. Um, as I say, if Kevin Lee can knock you out, then there are some serious problems there. Um, no offense. <laughs> but I just, I, I think, stop, I think, stop bringing the disrespect to the Motown phenom in here. <laughs> That's not I think, okay. I was just looking at the rankings actually. Um, and I, I'd quite like to see Brad Riddell versus Drew Dober. I know it's sort of like five places between them or whatever, but for me, that's a real fun striking matchup. I think actually Dober might have a book, a, a fight book soon, but. I don't know, I said about Alex Hernandez um, earlier, but someone like that, like for me, uh, Greg Gillespie, Gillespie, who's coming off a loss, I don't really see what that does what that does for Riddell, who for me is one of the best strikers in the UFC. I think I think it would advance Riddell slightly. Um, you know, Gillespie has a name because of the knockout from Kevin Lee. Um, people know who he is thanks to that. So, um, you know, I think, am I wrong? Gillespie was undefeated before the before the Kevin Lee fight, or yeah. maybe yeah, not yeah, lost yeah. one. He yeah, he was undefeated. So, um, you know, I think it's a fair matchup, and I, I'd probably side with Riddell. I don't think I'd be as confident as, as you are, but um, like you say, City Kickboxing, I mean, when when does City Kickboxing not win at the moment? I mean, ev- every one of their fighters is just flying at the moment. So um, you'd have to trust Riddell to continue the streak he's on. And the thing about Riddell as well is he's looked better every fight. You know, like you say, the, the last couple of fights, he has been taken down a couple of times, and he's you know, gone to scramble and got back up quickly. Um, his takedown defense has improved. His get-up game has improved. Um, and I think he probably learned from the fight with Malarkey in Melbourne when, you know, it was just an all-out war and, you know, no disrespect to Malarkey, Riddell is a much better striker and shouldn't be getting sucked into, you know, a bar fight with a guy like that where he could have got, I mean, he nearly got knocked out a few times in that fight. So, um, yeah, I think Riddell is improving every fight and I would probably back him in that fight as well. Um, next up, another thing that's just come out today, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, the nicest motherfucker in the UFC, talking shit about Hamzat Chimaev. We have to talk about this. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, trash talking. This is new 2020 top of the line stuff. He says that the UFC hype train for Hamzat Chimaev is ridiculous. That's a quote. Um, ridiculous. And uh, says it doesn't make any sense that he can be fighting Leon Edwards, who's number three in the welterweight rankings, when he only has one win at the weight class, which was over Reese McKee, who is technically a 155er who was fighting up at welterweight. Um, do you agree with Wonderboy, or do you love the Hamzat hype train? I do and I don't. I, I, I agree. I get what he's saying. Like, Why are they giving this, this young prospect, who, as, as he says, has only had one fight against Reese McKee? But to me... The UFC is as much as much as it is about you fight for your place and all that kind of stuff. You've got to be marketable, and with the loss of Habib and well, Connor 
coming in and coming out whenever he pleases. Like the UFC have needed this star to come in and, and make the headlines. And Shimaev, for me, is one of those fighters who does exactly just that. Like he is, he's not a household name yet, but he will get there. Make no mistake. Like he trains at a really good gym. He's mentored by Alexander Gustafsson, who's been there, done it, worn the t-shirt. Like I think I can understand Wonder Boy's frustrations because for me, Wonder Boy is one of the best strikers in the UFC, but he's also one of the best fighters in the UFC. Like I love Wonder Boy. I think um, he was robbed on multiple multiple occasions against. Um, Darren Till. <laughs> yeah, against Till. That and I would argue he won the Woodley fight as well. Um, so I, I can I can understand his frustrations that, all oh, right, why is this young, plucky kid full of spunk getting the shot? But I can, I can see it from Leon Edwards' perspective as well. Why would Leon Edwards want to fight Stephen Wonderboy when he's worked his ass off to get up the rankings? Like, it, 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 And then if you fight Wonderboy... He'd probably go back a couple of places like it does nothing for him but fighting someone who's got a name if he beat if Leon Edwards beats Shimaev that does more for Leon Edwards than it does for beating Wonderboy I'm not talking about with the hardcore fans here I'm talking about with the worldwide appeal yeah building um, marketability yeah, yeah sure. exactly because at the end of the day what sells fights it's not necessarily how technically good you are or whatever it's your ability on a mic can you sell on the mic and Wonderboy I mean, it's great that he's coming out now and talking shit, but he hasn't done that for God knows how many years. So it's just, again, I, I can understand his frustrations, but I'm, I'm behind the UFC with this one. Like, keep the Kamzat hype train going as long as possible. Um, I'll be stoking those fires. <laughs> well, I didn't think we'd get a uh, mention of Hamzat spunk out of you on the first episode, Tom. But, um, there we go. Um, I agree, yeah. Um, the, the reason I think the hype train is justified is because when the betting lines came out for uh, for the Edwards Chimaya fight, Edwards is a pretty big underdog, and the, the better in me was instantly like, "Oh, bet Edwards big!" Like, you know, th- this is a huge step up for Chimaev. You know, Edwards is the underdog. That's ridiculous. How can he be the underdog? And then when I thought about it, I'm not actually that confident Edwards would win that. I mean, I'm a big Leon Edwards fan. I think some of the disrespect he gets for things that have been out of his control is is ridiculous. Um, but, you know, I look at that fight and I, it worries me a little bit. Like, how good is Jemayev? We don't know. We don't know how good he is. So, you know, while while the hype train is there, why not throw, you know, throw him up there and, um, you know, see what happens. If You know, if he wins, we can't say, oh, it wasn't justified to throw him up there. He needed to have two more wins before he got that win. Um, and, and you know, if, if he gets dominated by Edwards, then we'll have our answer. So, um, yeah, again, I, I agree with you. I think it's justified and uh, just Thompson needs to stick to just being a nice about, guy. Yeah, just talking about the, the Shimaev Edwards fight, it was interesting because I interviewed Mason Jones, who is um, the UFC's latest recruit from Wales. And he was saying how like the Leon Edwards disrespect is disgusting because, all right, Shimaev has looked fantastic, but at the end of the day, he's fought Reese McKee, who has looked anything but in his past two fights. And Gerald Mearshart, who is okay, like he's a decent fighter, but he's never going to be top ten. And and Mason was just saying that like there's well there's a massive difference between having a handful of fights and having twenty plus. And yeah, Leon and, Edwards. I mean, Leon, Leon's beat really good guys as well. Yeah, um, exactly. And he hasn't just be, he hasn't just beaten them. Like he's made them look amateurish. Like I thought mm-hmm. the way he dismantled Gunnar Nelson was. In my eyes, like I know um, when Masvidal knocked out Till, that's what made all the news. But it was the way that Edwards dealt with Gunnar Nelson, who is 
if anything, if you look at the Gunnar Nelson fight, that's probably why he doesn't want to fight Stephen Wonderboy because in essence, he's already kind of done that. He's fought a high-level striker who is all right on the ground, but doesn't really isn't really much of a submission threat or whatever. So why would he fight Wonderboy when he's, he's already had that experience? And I thought he completely dismantled Gunnar Nelson. So, and you just look through all the names, like, for me, I just I just think it's crazy. Like, there's levels in UFC and there's a lot of levels. And to make the jump so quickly, like, I mean, Chimaev, fair play, man. You've got to have a, a big set of stones on you to, to want to take on one of the best welterweights in not only the UFC, but in the world. Like, it, it, it's just, it's mental. But it's a really fun fight. I just, I, 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 the Brit in me can't go against the Birmingham boy. Like, I just think Leon Edwards is not necessarily the king incarnate because obviously he's lost to Kamara Usman, who, by the way, I think anyone who disrespects Kamara Usman is an idiot because all right, he might not be the best trash talker. He might not be the best person um, who's maybe the most entertaining fighter, but he's very, very good at what he does. And I feel like the way he dealt with Leon Edwards is, is well, was very impressive early on. But would he be able to do the same now? I'm not so sure. I feel like Leon Edwards has continued to evolve. And I think for for someone like Shemaev, it's an opportunity for him to, to make a statement. Like if you can beat Reese McKee, okay, that's great one thing. But if you can beat Leon Edwards, who has been on a remarkable run, um, no one wants to fight him. Like there's opportunities for both. So yeah, I, I, I'm back in the Brit because I just, I, I think experience tells, like you saw that, I mean, going away from um, from MMA, but you saw that with the Joe Joyce and Daniel Dubois fight. Like there's a, yeah. there's a massive golf in experience. And I feel like the same thing with MMA. Um, all right, you can pull a submission out of nowhere or you can land a lucky punch. But I'm not so sure against someone like Leon Edwards who stifles his opponents. Shumayev will necessarily be able to do the same thing. Although, having said that, maybe his size advantage could give him something there. Like, that, that as was you said. what worried me, to be honest with you. Um, I can see him going in there like 30 pounds <laughs> over the actual weight. Um, you know, the guy is absolutely huge for a welterweight. God but then, but then Leon trains with, with Fabian. His brother, who is also yeah. a very heavy middleweight, so it's like, I can, and he's he's a good middleweight. So I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I, I can't believe people are writing him off. Well, um, yeah, like I said, the, the better in me was was all over Edwards the second he <laughs> also announced. Um, but I'm not I'm not overly confident about it to be honest with you. Uh, moving on to our, our last piece of news for the day, uh, Max Holloway came out today and said he is willing to run it back, and I quote, 100 times with Alexander Volkanovsky for the featherweight belt. Um, take away Tom I know you're raging about this one I just don't understand it like uh, I get I, I get his frustrations don't get me wrong and the trouble is uh, where I sit I'm a big fan of both so it's sort of like you try and choose your favourite child um, it, it, it's very hard but I just think he's coming but across but there is a bit always whi- a favourite <laughs> yeah I just think I think he's just coming across a bit whiny like all right, there are arguments to be made that he won, and a lot of arguments to be made that he won the last fight, but he lost the first one in such a well convincing fashion that it, for me, I'm just not interested in the rematch yet. I'm far more interested in seeing um, Alex versus Brian Ortega, and then there's a case to be made for a Ortega Holloway rematch, and then maybe you could do like a, a little triangle of just them fighting each other for the next couple of years or whatever. Like that'd be really good fun. But I think, I think Max is feeling a little bit entitled, which is, it sounds really incredibly harsh for someone who's so talented. But you've got a fight books with Calvin Cater. Your focus should be on that. Why are you worrying? Like, why is this nagging in the back of your head that 
you've lost a really close fight. Like for me, it, and that's the other thing as well. For me, it was a close fight. Like, yes, there are arguments to be made that Max won this fight. That That's fair. And there are a handful of people, um, maybe even fewer, who would argue that Holloway won the fight, uh, that uh, Volkanovski won the fight, sorry. But when it's so, when it when it's close, I just, I, I can't really see the, um, the reasoning for, for why it, it's nagging him so much. And if anything, it kind of worries me because if his focus isn't on Cater, then it could be another bad night in the office for Holloway. And that's the last thing he needs because then he's even further away from the title. So for me, it just seemed a bit like throwing your toys out of the pram. Like, why didn't they give me the immediate rematch? All that kind of stuff. But I think Dana came out and said actually that, well, after the Ortega fight, that that's the one that's next for the title. So yeah, it, it, it didn't sit comfortably with me because I think Max is better than that. Like Max is never a fighter who takes a loss and then has this chip on his shoulder. Like when he lost to Poirier, he was very much like, all right, okay, I lost. Um, let's move on, that kind of thing. And he was like that with the first fight with Hol- with um, Volkanovski. He was very much like, right, that's okay. We'll just do a rematch or whatever. But he didn't let it like, bother him. And I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that he's let the last fight bother him so much. Although again, there are arguments made that he won it. So I can, I can understand it from that perspective. But for me, it's just like, focus on your fight, man. Like, why are you whinging? I... I agree to an extent. Um, I'm quite salty about it because I'm a huge Max fan. Um, always have been. He was one of the first fighters that I was like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. Like, I'm an instant fanboy. Um, and I thought he clearly won the second fight three rounds to two. Um, but uh, I, I can see the arguments that he didn't. But I think, you know, I, I think he won it. You know, fair and square. That's it. Um, however you can't make the same match three times in a row. That's just ridiculous. Um, you know, Volkanovski against Brian Ortega's cup has to be the next title fight. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I, I agree with most of what you said. I wanted to interject and say that I think he clearly won the fight, um, the second fight, but you know, you can't lose dominantly once then lose a close contentious decision and then say, Oh, well, let's do it. A th-, you know, I think Volkanovski said, well, what are they going to do? Just keep running it back until Max wins. Then what is then Volkanovski going to say, oh, well, I think we should have a rematch until I win. Um, You know, it's just, it's, yeah, it's not right for him to, you know, be dwelling on that so much. And, you know, he's on the verge of Luke Rock holding if he's not careful, um, which would really um, upset me because it's like I said, Max is one of my favorite fighters. And, um, you know, I would hate to see him, you know, go full rock hold, which, you know, he's not close to yet. He's probably about 20% of the way there. (laughs) He hasn't started, um, the conceive, believe, achieve train yet. Um, I'm actually going to throw uh, a curveball. I think. Yeah. I think you should go up a weight class. I, I know, obviously, he lost to Poirier, but for me, like, I think this unofficial lightweight tournament is so open. Like, who wouldn't want to watch Holloway versus a Hooker or even a Tony Ferguson or a Felder, like someone like that, just to like get him back in the, the in that division? And maybe that's the next fight for Charles Oliveira. But he probably, <laughs> oh yeah, again, probably that's take a down re- a Morgan, a... to be honest. But that, but that, those kind of fights are really fun for me. Like, yeah. I think Holloway at featherweight does nothing for me now. Like, it's like he kind of, he's a bit like the old man in the room, which is crazy when you consider the fact that he's younger than quite a few of the fighters. But for me, he is very much like he started so early. He's been around for so long. Like, why doesn't he try something new? I know, I know, he fought Poirier, but like for me, that was losing to Poirier doesn't do anything like I don't think losing to Poirier does, does, did anything no, it doesn't, doesn't lose any stock yeah. no exactly and like why why would you want to stay at, at featherweight when really the big money is going up and, and trying to get like a belt that I, I feel I feel like the lightweight belt in a more in a strange sort of way 
is actually more attainable than the featherweight because I know he I know there are arguments to be made that he won the last fight against Volkanovski, but people forget that Volkanovski's head coach is a tactical genius. Like you're telling me that Eugenie Behrman isn't coming up with a strategy to beat Max Holloway as convincingly as they did the first time, given the fact that Max has already worked on the strategy. Like it's all very well coming back and being like, oh, Max will make tweaks or whatever. Volkanovski, fight after fight, makes tweaks, changes his strategy to beat his opponents, and he beats them. Well, apart from his first fight, but he beats them comfortably. Like, yeah. I, I feel like Volkanovski gets a lot of stick, <clears throat> but you can't fault his game plan or sticking to a game plan. Um, I, I do worry that if Max does fight Volkanovski again, um, at least in the near future, I don't actually think he beats him, um, which seems crazy because for me, Max is one of the best featherweights, if not the best featherweight of all time. But I just think like there, there are some fighters who sometimes just get your number or... Um, some coaches who can plan a strategy to beat you. Uh, I, I feel like in the same way, like Mauricio Rua knows how to deal with Antonio Rodrigo and Nogueira. Like that's a, and that was a mouthful to say, bloody hell. But like, do you know what I mean? Like there's, <laughs> yeah. there's like a, there's always like a game plan. And I feel like with City Kickboxing, I'm not, sl- I'm not like having a go at Max's coaches or anything, but there is arguably a difference between Max Holloway's corner and Volkanovski's corner, like you just have to look at the amount of champions that CKB have got and the, the high level fighters that they've got. And I, I just can't see it. Like, I, I, and also, I don't understand, it doesn't do anything. I don't think, re, I don't think rebooking, as you said, a trilogy fight does anything for the UFC either because for them, it's just like, oh, we've got to sell the same narrative. Like, you know what the story is. Like, it's a bit boring. Fans yeah, it would be the exact same narrative as the yeah, second exactly. fight was. It would be and, and, coming back for revenge. Yeah, yeah. and fans want, fans, fans want something fresh and new. And I think Ortega looks so good against um, Korean Zombie. Like, what part of him looks good? <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, there's that argument as well. Um, I'm talking about his hair, by the way, obviously. Oh, okay, like, okay. Bald, Ortega, bald Ortega is just unreal it's the new mythical um, fighter Bald yeah exactly like bald Ortega can actually strike what's going on um <laughs> I, but no I, I just think like Ortega for me is the future of the division like, I think he's he's evolved from the beating that Max gave him um and that's actually actually the Ortega rematch for Holloway is something that I'm really interested in because I would really want to see if if Ortega's actually properly made the adjustments because I, I think that'll be really tasty. Like I just I just don't see I don't see why Max is so fixated with the Holloway fight when really he should his full focus should be on Calvin Cater, who is a very, very game dog in this game. Like you talk about game bread, they don't get as game bread as they come at Calvin Cater. Like the man's a killer. Um I mean so he knocked out it, Shane Burgos, which Yeah, exactly. To do and that, like, you, if, have, you have if to Max be an takes his eye off, If Max takes his eye off Calvin Cater then Max is going to have serious problems. And I'm sure he's taking it very seriously and all that kind of stuff. But when you come out in the media and you talk about a fight that you've just lost, um, all right, you may not have actually lost it, but you lost it on paper. Like, it does concern me that maybe his head isn't in the right place. Um, and that's yeah, me, would be terrible. Because um, I, I think I think Max Holloway on his day is one of, if not one of the best fighters in the UFC. And like, to, to I think you should always take the fight that's coming up is like your, your top priority. Like that should be your full focus. And to like, I would rather have him said like, Oh, I want to put on a show. I want to like remind everyone who's boss, that kind of thing. Like something like that, rather than whinging about the judges scorecards or saying like, Oh, Jorge Masvidal thought I won or whatever. Like at the end of the day, 
the fighters aren't the ones you want to please. It's the judges. You got to convince the judges. And his top priority right now should be making a statement against against Calvin Cater and getting himself back in that title shot contention sort of area. Because um, I think there are there are quite a few fighters coming through, and I think it could be quite congested at the top. So rather than maybe worrying about what happened previously, he should be thinking about right. Can I go out? Can I go out there and show the Max Holloway of old um, against? one of the best featherweights in the division. Yeah, I agree. And and I hadn't thought about the lightweight step up. Um, that's an interesting point, actually, because I think the main stumbling block for someone like Max would have been Habib. Obviously, you know, Max versus Habib would have been a total mismatch. I can't believe that fight was ever actually going to happen um, until he pulled out. Um, so, yeah, I think now that, now that that Habib stumbling block's gone, that could be, a, you know, a a fair jump for him to make and you're right like it is open for, for grabs it's there for the time well, it sounds crazy if but you like can get one big win up there against you know one of those top you know five six guys who's to say he's not next in line you know he's got the star power he's got more star power than you know your Oliveras or anyone like that so um as much as i love charles Oliveira, he's won me money eight fights in a row so i'm not gonna shit talk him but, but it sounds um, crazy yeah. who wouldn't want to see mcgregor versus holloway again like exactly yeah how much has max evolved from their first fight um, like that, that for me is a really fun. Like, and I know it won't happen like anytime soon, but those kind of fights for me, like the big money fights, are really what I think Max should be aiming for. Um, obviously, a title fight is a big money fight, but I, I'm talking about like other names, like getting some names on your ledger that will continue to build this profile. And I think like rather than maybe being fixated on folk, maybe Max should start thinking about right, what are some names that I can call out and and, and beat to get to get myself back into everyone's well not saying that people don't think he's a good fighter or whatever but two losses in a row maybe some people are starting to ask questions about where max holloway is at in his career yeah yeah um i think that's a fair point and um i'm, I'm not going to join in on any on any max slander like i said but <laughs> um <laughs> i think you raise a good point and i i agree the, the lightweight move i hadn't thought of it would be fun um you know that there is that tournament there it is up for grabs and you know who's to say he's not the best of the lot um so um yeah we'll we'll wrap it up with that do we do we want to touch quickly on uh, next week's card and and pick our uh, underrated fight of the card yeah so i i think this is the the point where i mean we've we've beaten our news uh kind of to a pulp at this point so <laughs> i figured it would be a good time to move on so here at the runner-up we really um we want to focus on the the great performances but we want to focus on those that didn't really get the recognition that we think they deserved. Um, so one of our our segments on every podcast we do is what is the runner up of whatever performance we're on. Um, so the performance of the night for 256 was Holland and um, Fazeev. So who, aside from those two, do you think had the best performance and someone who you think really either was just the the cusp below or potentially could have taken that performance bonus. Do you want to go first, Tom? Yeah, I'm going to steal yours. I'm going Cyril Garn. <laughs> I think I think Cyril Garn. Um, all right, there's there's all those claims about the, the illegal shot that wasn't an illegal shot and all that utter shite. But I think, yeah, Cyril Garn for me, like to come out and make a statement like that in the heavyweight division, is one thing, but to do it so convincingly, I, like there wasn't really a minute where I thought Garn looked troubled. Um, and he just completely outclassed 
one of the best strikers the heavyweight division's ever seen. And if that doesn't tell you something about his performance, then I don't know what does. Yeah, okay. Um, since you've stolen that, um, I'm <laughs> going to go to uh, to something we already touched on quite heavily, which was uh, Gavin Tucker. Um, I think, you know, before this card, there probably wasn't many people that knew Gavin Tucker's name. Obviously, the, the hardcore fans would have, but, um, you know, he didn't really have a, a decent name on his resume. And, you know, Billy Q's a, a fairly, you know, fairly big name. Most people know Billy Q and, and how difficult he is to fight. Um, and as we touched on when we spoke about that fight, he didn't just win. He won without ever looking in trouble or in danger or even gassed for a second. I mean, he was, it was 15 minutes of perfect, whether it was on the feet or on the mat. Um, so yeah, I've got to give it to Gavin Tucker. And as we, as we touched on the featherweight division is absolutely stacked and uh, I can't wait to, to see who they give him next. And I pray um, that uh, they give him a big step up. Um, someone like Amir Carney or even like Herbert Burns coming off a loss um, would be a fun one. Although he's probably just out of his reach in the rankings. Um, so yeah, I got to go with uh, with Gavin Tucker. Awesome. Um, now, now we're looking forward to next weekend. Uh, we have uh, an, another fight night. Um, who, or rather, what is the the fight that you think everyone should be looking at? Um, wh- who's the best one up? I, I got to go first this time and see if I can pronounce his name right. Um, Tafon Nachukwi against uh, Jamie Pickett. Both these guys are coming off the contender series. And I think there's so many good fights on this card. I mean, we've lost a couple off the card, but there's still so many good fights on this card that um, nobody's really looking at the prelims. You know, we're all talking about Chito Vera and Jose Aldo. And and obviously the, the main event's going to be extremely fun striking battle. But, you know, I think if anyone saw in the Chukwis, um KO on contender series. If you didn't go watch it, um, I mean, the guy was fighting. Let me just, sorry, just check. Uh, Al Matavau um, came in a little underweight, so it was a little bit of a mismatch. If you look at Nchukwe, he's an absolute tank, but um, uh, he finished him with a head kick, and the guy was out for a solid five, ten minutes. I mean, out, out. Like there was genuine concern from the broadcasters that, like, you know, okay, we might have to like cut to a commercial while we see if this guy's actually okay. Um, and you know, like I said, it was it was a mismatch. Um, so you know, maybe we don't really know how good Nchukwu is, but um, man, it was one of the best finishes I've ever seen on Contender Series. And then you have Pickett, who also got a, a great finish on Contender Series. And the thing is that both of them came out like I'm going to come out and get a knockout in the first round, and I'm going to make Dana force me to give me a contract. And you know, maybe they won't come out that way when they're actually now they're in the UFC and they you know they have something to lose, but. If they, if they come out the way they both came out on Contender Series, someone's getting knocked out in the first round of that fight, and it is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm going to go with um, my boy Showtime. Like, I know it's not really a, a runner-up because obviously it's a household name, but I, I think in terms of the fights, everyone's going to be talking about Michelle Pereira versus um, Callan Chaos Williams. Like That is just a ridiculous fight, but... I actually am leaning towards Anthony Bettis, Alex Morona. Like, I think that could be a sleeper. Showtime, I mean, he's looked good and he's looked terrible. So you don't know what you're going to get with him. <laughs> but um, when he does roll back the years, he's phenomenal. So I'm really looking forward to to that matchup because Morona is a very game, gritty veteran. Like, he looked really good against Reese McKee last time out. So, yeah, I think that for me is a really fun fight. Um to be honest, I'm actually I'm looking at the card. Other than the top three fights, I'm a bit oh yeah, top four fights. I'm a bit like, eh, like I'm I'm not really like that sold. Like the prelims, Bilal Muhammad's fighting again. Like he's he's a really fun fighter. Um, 
I think it has it has lost a, a fair bit of its spark losing the Edwards and Eamon Zahabi. Um, sorry for us, but your brother's not that great. <laughs> like it's just I don't know. Yeah, it's I think it's been hyped up as like the most amazing fight night, and and I was like this as well when I first saw the the full card. I was like, oh, this this isn't a pay per view. Like it's an amazing card for a fight night, but um, losing that Shemaev and Edwards fight has lost a bit of its spark um, to the point where you're sort of now looking for those under the radar fights. Um, but I think also I'm just excited because it's such a big card. Um, I think there's like 15 fights, last card of the year, just a complete blowout. Let's just get all our uh, fill of violence before Christmas. If they're all decisions, I think I'll cry. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you now, there's no way in Chukwe and Jamie Pickett are going to a decision. Um, you know, there's, I, I don't even think that I'll make it out the first 120 seconds. So um, I'm looking or forward Jose to Aldo, for sure. um, and Vera. I don't think I don't think Chito Vera and, and Aldo is going to be a decision either. Well, yeah. I mean, you say that Cheeto's never been finished. So if, if Aldo can finish Cheeto, that would be a hell of a, you know, he's already got quite way. the resume, but um, it would be a hell of a, another thing to put on on his already decorated resume. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's another one. I couldn't give it runner up because everyone's already talking about that fight, but that's another one I'm really looking forward to. See, I'm leaning the other way. I'm, I'm leaning with, I think, uh, I think Cheeto is going to, going to do a job. Um, I'm not saying that Aldo's on the way down, so to speak. But I think when he loses so convincingly against Peter Yan, it's a bit, a bit concerning. Oh, um, I'm 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 in the Cheeto camp as well. Sorry, I must have misrepresented. <laughs> sorry, what I, I, thought, to say I thought you meant because I, um, I I just think like I think the stage is set for Cheeto to make a statement. Like he made a, he looked really good against Sean O'Malley, and yeah, when you're fighting someone like Aldo, I mean you could get Moicanoed or. <laughs> You could get a legend on your on your legend. Well, I think it, it, the, the worry with Aldo there, and we'll get into this on the the preview show on Friday. But um, I think the worry for Aldo there is that what just happened to Tony Ferguson. You know, he just got the crap beaten out of him by a really dominant performance by a younger fighter. Is that now going to have a, a knock on effect where he looks tired and old in this fight? And you know, Aldo's looked tired and old for a little while now. Let's be honest. So um, yeah, I think I'm in the Cheeto Vera camp on that one as well. Yeah, it's, it's it's quite good. I mean, as you say, it lost the the tasty one at the top, but like Wonderboy and, and Jeff Neal, like that's a a really tasty striking matchup. Unless Jeff Neal decides to wrestle, in which case it might be a bit boring. But um... he will lose all my support if he does that. If he ruins that <laughs> matchup, if he ruins that matchup, I will be so angry. I think it's just yeah. Like Marlon Moraes and, and Rob Font, that's maybe not getting talked about a lot, but that's a really fun little bantamweight matchup. Um, although it's, it's interesting how Stephen Thompson and Jeff Neal are the main event, and it's not Aldo Vera. I know they were the, the co-main initially, but I would have thought I think Aldo they probably been... just didn't make Cheeto the main event because Sean O'Malley would cry. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. maybe. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just think it's, it's weird though, isn't it? Because Aldo's a bigger name than Wonderboy. Like, yeah, definitely. But maybe it's because they don't want to see Aldo lose on the main stage. <laughs> no, no one wants to see that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Ben, Tom, thank you so much. Uh, I'm I'm Rick, and uh, that's all we have for today. Hoping that we will be able to do a, a quick little preview on uh, Friday before our, our huge final card of the year. Uh, Until then, thank you and have a good one.